It's time for Baldry's Beat. Keith Baldry, Legislative Bureau Chief for Global News. Good morning, Keith. Great as always to be here in these posh NW studios at the BC Legislature. Oh, yeah, it's very posh, for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm staring at the plywood table that <laughs> we're, we're sitting at. Okay, let's talk about Mike Farnworth and his announcement on uh, aid for people who have been evacuated mm. because of the flooding. So here he is. Here's Farnworth, the Solicitor General and Public Safety Minister, talking about $2,000 for evacuees. Let's have a listen. It's funded by the Red Cross with, with funds um, 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 put in place as well by the, uh, by the province. Uh, so that's how it's done. It's similar to the situation that we had during the, uh, the fires. And so it would be uh, uh, people uh, who, who have been evacuated, uh, just like during the fire season, and the, uh, the eligibility requirements and, and how to do it will be accessed, uh, can be accessed uh, by the uh, online website. Okay, so how is this going to work now? So you, it's in conjunction with the Canadian Red Cross, there's a 1-800 number uh, that you can call between 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. if you're an evacuated person. It's about almost 18,000 people were evacuated. Wow. And it's 2,000 per household. It's not per individual. And it's uh, if you're evacuated from your principal residence, you qualify for this. There's also an online option. This isn't the big ticket uh, item in terms of um, of funding or financial assistance. That will come in the days ahead and weeks ahead. There are other programs out there. This is basically a $2,000 grant to get you through uh, some expenses, some some food, some fuel, just daily expenses. The big ticket items, though, if you've got damaged house, um, these people in Abbotsford, for example, Sumas Prairie, there's the direct financial disaster financial assistance program, which has been on the books for years. That covers up to 80% of the damage you've, you've suffered under on the eligible types of damage. So it doesn't matter if, about antiques, books, uh, a number of household items, but if it's appliances, structural damage, you get up to 80% covered. And that uh, requires you to pay the first $1,000, but up, up, you can file a claim up to $300,000. So that's where you can see this is going to be a very expensive weather event. Yeah. When, when these claims are filed, 80% of the damage uh, up to three hundred thousand uh, dollars. A lot of people will max out at that, and we're talking almost six thousand properties have been evacuated, uh, almost eighteen thousand people. So this is a massive weather event, and that two thousand dollars is great for on a short term basis, but that is by no means the big financial ticket item that we're going to see in this event. Speaking of the expense of this, I mean, it was interesting to see the finance minister this week update her budget, and the, the deficit has gone down to, is it 1.7 billion, which I'm astonished that the deficit is that low. From almost $10 billion to 1.7, which is reflective of the economy is actually roared back. A lot of people predict at the beginning, when the economy comes back, it's going to roar back to life. It's not going to be a small increase. It's going to be a big um, increase in economic activity, and that's what we're seeing. Yeah, so we we got the deficit is lower, which is good, but that was calculated before the flooding, yep. right? So I mean, we're looking at billions and billions of dollars in re in well, recovery and rebuilding. Well, and and the key part there is rebuilding. Recovery is one part. That's going to yeah. cost a lot of money. You start rebuilding the Coquihalla Highway. <laughs> you start investing in the infrastructure that this weather event has highlighted the need for. I've got a column out this week in Glacier Media. Uh, and others have pointed out the dike system has to be rebuilt and re revisited. They have to be strengthened and raised. You've got to start doing geological testing on highways to prevent these landslides from occurring. Again, you've got to buttress highways to prevent uh, debris flow from uh, taking out uh, highways. The Coquihalla Highway alone is going to be, yeah. which was an engineering marvel to begin with. We're covering the, the creation of the thing back in the 80s. 
And it was built in a place where everybody said, well, you can't build a highway there. It's crazy. You're up in the mountains. Well, they built it. But now it's broken in five places, and it's going to cost a lot of money to fix it. Yeah, and hopefully when we got more atmospheric rivers on the way here in the next few days. Hopefully it, we get through this okay in the next couple of days. Let's talk about the, uh, the campaign now to get kids vaccinated against mm-hmm. COVID-19 in B.C. Here's Dr. Penny Ballum on the timeline for getting children vaccinated in B.C. Have a listen. We hope to focus a very significant effort on children over the, the coming, you know, two months. And we feel we can probably complete those who are wanting to get vaccinated by the end of January. Your thoughts? Yeah, so it's an ambitious target. Uh, great to see Dr. Penny Ballam yesterday. She's the head of the immunization uh, vaccination rollout program. So now we're starting Monday uh, vaccinating kids 5 to 11. There's about 350,000 kids in that age cohort. The goal is to get everyone, as many as possible, vaccinated by the end of January. So that's about five, 6,000 kids a day. Um, again, ambitious. Hopefully we, we, we achieve a very high number. There's internal studies uh, in public health suggest about 75% of parents are going to uh, do this, but there's still, you know, that's not the 90% plus we're seeing with the adult population. Uh, some parents are going to be a little hesitant, but this is a, this is a different vaccine it's a pediatric vaccine, different than the one you and I got, whether it's AstraZeneca, Pfizer, or Moderna. This is a, a Pfizer vaccine that is smaller dose right. for younger kids. Yeah. Um, and there's going to be a, a bit of a message campaign here to educate parents and, and, and convince them this is a healthy and very effective vaccine because kids are getting COVID-19 and always have had COVID-19. Thankfully, very few hospitalizations um, uh, and, and serious illness, but there has been occasional serious illness with a young kid with COVID-19, not m- great in number, but it has happened. And the goal is to get as many kids vaccinated as quickly as possible. Let's talk about paid sick days in BC. And there's a big announcement coming up on this at 12 noon. And I, I believe that the Jill Bennett show will have that live labor minister, Harry Baines mm-hmm. expected to announce details of how this is going to work. So the BC government has already said, look, we're, we are going to bring in paid sick days in British Columbia. The question is how many paid sick days. Now you've got the unions, a labor movement. This is a labor friendly government has been campaigning for 10 paid sick days per year and business going, no, please don't do this to us. It's going to be too expensive. This is going to break us. I suspect, I got a feeling that if I was going to bet on this, I'd imagine they might bring in a smaller number. Like they've talked about, is it going to be three paid sick days a year, five days or 10 days? And I think maybe, maybe they go down the middle and go five days. That would make more well, sense. See, I'm not sure what they're going to do, though. Yeah, I, I, the government's going to point to the fact that uh, unionized workplaces in their collective agreements have paid sick days. Uh, I work in a place that has paid sick days, and there's very little uh, evidence that people abuse that. Um, and many people don't use up their sick days that they're allotted. Uh, and I think the same thing will be seen in, in non-unionized businesses. It's not. I don't think it's a... A game changer when it comes to your bottom line because people by nature i think when you're working you like to work and and you take sick days when you need to take sick days and what the pandemic has highlighted is the need to stay home if you're sick particularly with covid19 that may now be part of our life forever or for a long time it's not going to go away it's like the flu 
and you don't want to be coming to work if you've got COVID-19. It's been a very polarized argument. Like you've basically got business saying this is going to be terrible, especially now at a fragile time for an economic recovery. Don't do this to us. And then you've got the labor movement saying like, actually, this is going to be better for business because then people won't be tempted to come into work when they are sick and make everybody sick at work. So it's going to be an interesting decision point here for the government. Now, I spoke to Dan Kelly about it this morning, Keith. He's the head of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business, totally against 10 paid sick days a year. And here's what he had to say. Talk about a pile on. Canada pension plan premiums are going up on January 1st. Uh, Subsidy programs from the federal government are essentially ending. We're going to get details on that later this afternoon as well. Um, And yet, and yet now we're going to start to, to tack on another significant bill. This, this adds thousands and thousands of dollars of expenses to every business. Okay, we'll see what the government well, does that's here. A, that's a worst-case scenario. Again, I work at a place, I've worked at many places, where people don't use up all their sick days. So I think he's he's really painting a worst-case scenario. I don't think people are going to... If it's 10 days, I don't think people are going to use 10 days. If it's five days, maybe they do. But again, that exists in a lot of collective agreements of companies that have a very healthy bottom line. Okay, big announcement on that coming up at 12 o'clock. All right, we were talking off air. You're a Beatles fan. Oh, yeah. You're like a super fan, right? Yep. You oh, love yeah. the Beatles. Okay, I'm a, I'm a Beatles fan, too. Really looking forward to my segment later on the show today. I'll speak to one of Canada's top Beatles expert about about this new documentary series that preview, uh, premieres tomorrow. Peter Jackson. Uh, Peter Jackson, the great film director. Uh, this series coming out in the Disney Plus streaming service. I think we got a bit of the trailer here. Let's have a listen to it. What would you like to see the Beatles do now? The show, the live show. Jojo was a man who thought he was a loner, but he knew it couldn't last. We should do right? the show. This is going to be great. The Beatles have, have transcended generations. My kids, my daughters are huge Beatle fans, uh, you know, born way after after John Lennon died. So, again, the original Let It Be documentary um, film was a kind of gloomy film. It showed them bickering and the breakdown of the Beatles. This uh, film by Peter Jackson, who mined hours and hours of footage that was never seen before, portrays the group as more of a positive, happy time where they're still joking around and being very creative. So Beatle fans around the world are rejoicing in the release of this. All right, it's Baldry's Beat. Let's go right to your phone calls here. James in White Rock. Hi, James. Hi, thanks for taking my call. I'm uh, uh, in the construction industry, and just from the MSP premiums that are being forced, I've seen Large companies reduce their workforce to get underneath the 500000 so that they don't have to pay out thirty grand a year for health premiums for their company. And when you look at the construction industry, if you don't think construction workers are going to take the full 10 days off, you're delusional. They are. They will take every single one because they can, and it's paid. Okay, James, thank you for the call. Well, you know, when you talk you to don't, the... You don't see that happen in all other sectors, so I'm not sure it would well, necessarily he, happen in that sector. Here's one of the key arguments... And you we get, don't know it's 10 days yet. Well, we don't know for sure what it's going to be. Um, but one of the key arguments from the labor movement on this is, well, we actually have had temporary paid sick days during COVID. Mm-hmm. And there have been studies done on it. And if you talk to some of the analysts, they'll say, well, there hasn't been any evidence of widespread abuse. No. Of COVID paid sick days. Yep. So why would it be widely abused if there's permanent sick days? Like, I mean, some people will. I mean, some people will take a mental health day the day after the Super Bowl. Yeah, and, you know, 
mental health days are important as well. But again, in unionized workplaces, collective agreements which have paid sick days in the collective agreement, you don't see widespread abuse of those. I'm not sure why you suddenly see that in non-union places. We'll see what they do. Uh, you know, they may take heat from business if they go with ten paid sick days. We'll see. Al in South Surrey. Hi, Al. Hi. Uh, as a young guy, I was a framer. We never took a sick day. Later on, I worked with a staff of up to 300 people over seven days a week, mainly early shift. I've taken thousands of sick calls. 25% minimum are not legitimate sick at all. Another 25% is dubious. I leave that with you. Okay, Al, thank you for the call. Well, well I don't know where you get the stats from. but um, Well, as he says, but, that's from his own experience. That's yeah, what he's saying. Uh, well... We'll see. Like in my own experience, people do not abuse sick days. Okay. But some people, some people will, but I don't think it's going to cripple a, a business's bottom line. I think some of the callers have made the point about uh, uh, CPP premiums. It's one of the uh, really uh, impactful uh, things on businesses are things like uh, workplace BC premiums, CPP premiums. These things go up, and it's sort of like the silent little thing out there. That has a bigger impact on the bottom line because it's everyone. There's no exemptions for that. Everyone goes up on those on those costs, unlike sick days. Let's go to JD in Surrey. Hi. Hey guys, that was a good show. Uh, yeah, I'm in construction as well. I work for myself. Uh, you know, I work all the time unless it's unsafe for somebody else. But if I'm not sick, but uh, I'm calling about COVID and kids. I've got an, um, uh, an autistic kid, and uh, there's no way that this kid is going to get near a doctor um, and do you foresee a situation in the future where um, the kids, you know, there'll be kind of retribution or, or issues for kids that are not vaccinated for whatever reason? Did, reason. did you did you say did you say your child is autistic? Correct. Yeah, and and are you going to get your child vaccinated? Well, there's lots of concerns, and if you're if you're not necessarily in the world of uh, and connected. You know, with this this issue, sometimes it's impossible. This this child will not go to a doctor. Mm. Oh, I I see. I see. I, yeah. I see. Well, okay. Well, one of the things they addressed yesterday, Keith, in rolling this out, is if you have a kid who's like got a phobia about needles or something, there will be some assistance for you. Yeah, they're going right? to try to make this as kid friendly as possible. It's not going to be like your, uh, in some instances, or in many instances, like your traditional uh, clinic or pharmacy. This is supposed to be, there's going to be some trained in, immunologists who are who have experience in vaccinating uh, kids who have some uh, needle phobia or just discomfort. Uh, uh, the caller raises a very good point. Uh, yeah. Really autistic kids can obviously have a real serious issue with this, and yeah. they're going to try as much as possible to try to make this as friendly an experience as possible. But there's going to be some instances where that's not possible. Yeah. Let's go to Lori calling from the BC Interior. Hi, Lori. Hey, how you doing? Good. Good. Go ahead. Hey, thanks for taking my call there. Yeah, I noticed on the uh, sick day thing, you know, there's a reason why we have police forces around us, and that's because people, generally speaking, will take advantage of things if they can. And I'm speaking from personal experience. If I can speed, I'll speed. If I think I'm going to get a ticket, I slow down. If I see a sign for a radar uh, camera or something, I will slow down. Uh, same with running red lights, stop signs, illegal parking. Hey, if I can get away with it, I will. And I know numerous well, you're people in the minority. who say the same. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of the people I talk to say the same thing. They don't well, do it on, on everything. Travel with a different crowd. <laughs> if you're if you're breaking the law, willing to break the law because no one can catch you. 
um, that's stupidity. I mean, most people do not speed because they can get away with it. People more, by and large, obey society's rules. The, the scofflaws like you are the minority. <laughs> Sorry, okay, we'll, we, we will see what the government does here. I mean, this is going to be a key decision point for the government. 12 o'clock is when that news conference is happening. Keith, thanks a lot. Hey, does that guy shoplift because he can get away with it? <laughs> okay.